Hello, listeners. Um, this is Sam Collier here. So originally, we were going to discuss Lauren Yi's play, Ching Chong Chinaman, today. Um, and we have recorded that episode for you. But we're actually going to release that episode next week. And instead, we thought in light of the coronavirus um, and particularly the effects on the theater community, we would record an episode looking at um, theater and plagues and diseases and contagious diseases in general. So um, here's our episode about the pandemic and tune in next week for our episode about our play of the month. You're listening to another episode of Beckett's Babies. We're your host, Sarah Cho. And Sam Collier. And uh, we are recording this on March 15th. Um, we thought that it would make sense in light of the pandemic circling the globe to do an episode on pandemics and the theater. And um, really just kind of a number of things we want to talk about. So for example, plays about plagues and diseases. Um, also, all the theaters that are being affected by the pandemic and um, how can we support each other and stay creative in this really hard time. So obviously, things are changing really quickly and um, we are going to talk about what has been happening so far but by the time you listen to this, there could be even more, um, I guess, more consequences of the pandemic or things might have changed. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, just want to acknowledge that. Yeah. Yeah, you're right about moving fast. Everything has been moving so quickly. Within 48, 72 hours, everything is shutting down. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, um, I guess, Sarah, how are you doing? How am I doing? Um, let's see. Uh, I have stocked up whatever I could find in the grocery store. Um, I'm constantly feeling like I'm fighting with old ladies all the time, left and right. Um, (laughs) um, I okay. <laughs> when you say fighting, what do you mean? I, I just I think I just said that because uh the grocery store that I was at I mean I went to like three grocery stores in the last twenty four, forty eight hours and um it's always just like an an older woman making a comment about what's in my cart and I'm like What? Lady it, it, it's so dumb. Like like I'm just fine. I'm just like, there's literally nothing on the shelves. So I'm just like, well, I'm just going to take, 
and it happens to be one can of tomato, I'll just I'll just grab this one can of tomato, and there'll be a woman looking at me, and she'll be like, hmm, there might be others that might need this. And I was like, <laughs> I And you're am like, I to- am also a human being who needs this. And who needs this? And I'm, you know, I I need to eat too. Um and it, wow. it's literally it's it's literally not like if you look at my shopping cart, it's just literally mixed bag of whatever I could find that I think could be eaten um yeah. over a span of a month or two. <laughs> it's just like and I mean it's constant judgment left and right. Um going to Trader Joe's because I was like, okay, I know there's this I, I this is so weird. Um I had this like idea like, okay, you know, maybe because of the the situation, the context of this disease and no one wants to eat Asian things right now. So maybe I have a good chance of finding Asian like items and at Trader Joe's that there's this miso ginger broth. Maybe I'm pretty sure I'll have a good chance of finding that because no one wants to drink, eat anything Asian right now. And I go, it's like, that's why I went to Trader Joe's just for like that uh, logic. And I go in, there's nothing like, wow. no, like it was all complete. And I'm pretty sure because all the Asian people in LA took all that stuff, having the same <laughs> idea as me. Um, but yeah, I, like there was like the last shiitake mushroom. I grabbed it. And then the, the Trader Joe staff member was like, congratulations, you grabbed the last shiitake mushrooms. And I was just like, <laughs> I was like oh, don't say it out loud. <laughs> well, good I job, mean, Sarah. Thank you. I'm glad you were able to get some things. Yeah. I mean, and I'm sure I, – I mean, I guess I don't want to spread any misinformation, but no. I guess that probably by tomorrow morning they will have restocked a lot of things, don't you think? I, yeah, no, no. Yeah, and it, but when I went to the register, the cashier was kind of – she kind of, like, saw my, like, weird missed bags of things, and she, like, very apologized. She's like, I'm so sorry you weren't able to find the things you needed. And she's like, I'm like, it's okay. And then she kind of, like, leans in a little bit and, like, whisper, like – you restock overnight if you yeah, want to come exactly. back in the morning at 8 a.m. when we open. And I was just like, <laughs> and you're like, don't put your tip. face too close to my face. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thanks for the hot tip. I think you just gave me corona. <laughs> um, <sighs> Listeners, I mean, we don't mean to make light of this situation. No, it's very serious. Um, it's so serious, but it's. But also, laughing, I think, is a necessary way of coping. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah. Well, just to give you a sense of what it's like in Maine, um, I went to the supermarket the other day, and I think all of the people who spend half the year in Florida or New York City or wherever and then come back to Maine for the summer all decided to come back in the last two days. And so, you know, what was usually like a pretty low-key shopping experience uh was like crammed with people i mean they could also be people who are just in maine all year round but all decided to go shopping as well but it seems like a lot of people are coming back to maine early understandably um Mm -hmm. but also probably bringing the virus with them but i did go to my favorite little farm store which is in the woods down a muddy, muddy road that is not paved. Um, it's an honor system store. So you calculate how much you owe them, and then you put the cash in a jar. What? And 
<laughs> and it was a yeah, it was a shopping experience where I bought some yogurt and some pickled cabbage and some frozen things, and I didn't see any human beings. That, but like in the distance, there's a cow mooing at me. Oh my! Goodness. So I just want to give a shout out to Toddy Pond Farm for allowing me to stock <laughs> my freezer. Um, oh my and god! Not have anybody cough on me? Yeah, I know. If, I almost did not is, get out of there because my car kept getting stuck in the mud. If something like that existed in LA, oh my god! Just you'll see the worst side of humanity. <laughs> <laughs> just, just the worst. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, there's a clipboard and a calculator and you write down how much, you know, what you're buying and how much it costs and then you Oh my god. Put the wow. cash in the jar. Oh god, let me tell you. No no honorable people are in LA. No honorable. People. That's not true. Yes, it's true. <laughs> you're an honorable person, Sarah. I don't know for how long, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. Well, as we cope uh, this current situation of what's going on in our country and the world, um, I've been reading a lot, and one of which was this play, Sam, you recommended. Yeah, I love this. Play. One Flea's Bear by Naomi Wallace. Now, I was always re- okay. I didn't like look. I remember I have the I had this play in the shelf, and I just never like really opened it and I was reading it and I'm reading it and reading it and I was like is Naomi Wallace British? <laughs> she She's not British. She's is American. She? She's from Kentucky. She's American. She actually um, she was like early in her career had a lot more yeah. success getting her work produced in England and I think maybe also mm. well she's I think she's spent a lot of time in England and like maybe has family members who are from England. I'm not totally sure. I don't want to mm. say something incorrect, but um, but she's written a couple of plays about England as well. So one Flea yeah. Spare is set in England, and then also she has a play called The Inland Sea, um, mm. which is set in England. Yeah, I, I guess because of language, I was like, wow, she's yeah, it's it very British to me. Um. I have yeah, to say, I, yeah. I love this play so much. And it, this play, like more than any other play, I think, mm-hmm. is the play that made me want to write plays. Because I saw it in my first semester of college. And it oh, just wow. like, it completely changed my understanding of what a play could do. Um, so, But I'm really curious about your experience reading it, especially now. Yeah, I, with what's going on in the world... I, man, I, this play was, it just forced me to look just how, the way people act during Mm -hmm. a time of crisis. Um, Mm -hmm. And this was written, what, in the 90s? And I was like, 20 years later, I'm like, yep, or 30 years later, I don't know how long, but yep, this is not, humanity has not changed. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but the way I, I feel like I should that. read a should I read a little synopsis just for people yeah who yeah read it? that's good um okay so it's set in London in the 17th century um there's an outbreak of the plague and there's a wealthy couple that's getting ready to flee their home um when 
I'm reading now from <laughs> Wikipedia. Uh, a mysterious sailor and a young girl appear sneaking into their boarded up house. And because these people have come into their house, they are now quarantined altogether, the four of them, for 28 days. Um, and so, uh, <clears throat> you know, then as now, um, people with money mm. had more options to like get away from the plague. But because I guess because they've been exposed, because these two people have come in, these mysterious strangers have come into their house, um, the city boards up their house. And so they're not able to leave. And yeah, and so the play is just about the power dynamics and yeah. Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, what what a great way to start the play. Like you, the setup was just amazing. I thought the the the, yeah. the, the couple, the readily and strangers, this like unexpected uh, uh, disturbance of the norm. You know, like just and then we're yeah. like, oh wow, here we here's where the play begins. It was like they're inside this closed um, house with these strangers and then let's see what happens from there you know like that's Mm -hmm. i mean i was like this whole setup i was like wow that what a what a way to open up the play um oh yeah the the how they treated her they're they're so vile so mean and like and just the way oh and there's a weird like sexual tension that happens too yeah I mean, there's a lot going on. I was just like, wow. I know. And I think what what I really love about that play is how it shows the, how, you know, situations of extreme fear and chaos can totally upend our social norms. Um, and so watching people figure out how to interact with each other when all the rules have been thrown out the window um, is really fascinating. Um, and, and there's a long history of theater artists looking at times of plague and social upheaval, um, because of what they show about who we are as human beings and how we decide how to interact with each other. Um, so I think there's a lot to, there's a lot to read and a lot to explore in this time of uncertainty and look at how uh, previous artists in other eras have navigated some of these questions. Like I think of Artaud as well. Sarah, have you read much Artaud, Antonin Artaud? Um, what about like the theater so. cruelty? Oh, theater, yes. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So, he and he was fascinated by the plague and you know big disasters and the way that they make us question all our assumptions about society yeah i there's something about i mean this whole experience right now with corona i'm constantly i'm just amazed of how how everyone's um attitudes and ideas like their actions just sort of like the way what's the word the way the way they are 
coping or the way they're just it I like it's just the way it's coming out I'm just mm-hmm. like shocked like wow the frenzy or like some people are like you know I obviously everyone's going on their own soapbox and like screaming at each other like stop you know and it's just like that I yeah I I'm just like I'm I don't know it's just, it, it's making people do like not normal things <laughs> that I'm like it's just coming on normal but it's a reaction and so we're all humans reacting to this uncertainty and and I I guess I'm just really amazed of what I'm witnessing right now I know I know I heard a doctor on um, NPR this morning saying that this is going to be the defining moment of our lives in a way. I mean, we just have not seen anything like this in a really long time. And yeah. And so I think, and we're only at the beginning of it. So, so people are behaving differently right now than they would have even considered a week ago, you know? Yeah. There's, oh man, I'm just going to pull out some quotes from this play. Um, this is from Mr. Snellgrave. Mm-hmm. And he says, like, that's the curse of this plague. It stopped all trade. That's There's not a merchant ship that's left the main port in months. Eating, uh, rats eating at the silks, damp at the pepper. You fellows out of work selling spice and nutmeg on the streets and starving the lot of you. Mm. And I was like, oh, my God. So wow. true. Yeah. Um, yeah, there were just like there was these lot of moments of monologues and storytelling in here that really just captured kind of like the emotions that I'm feeling and like the emotions that I'm seeing and um mm-hmm. so well and also the yeah. I think one thing she does really well in her work is this focus on the body um and you know, we have all become so much more focused on our hands and our faces and mm. um, our breathing. And, and yeah. I think she really captures that um, yeah. heightened awareness of the body and with the, and the borders of the body, you know, and the openings of the body. And, and yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Like the, the signs, right. We were constantly being told like the signs, um, yeah. the corona, like fever and cough. And then here is like the the token, like there were these like blisters or something. Like, yeah, where is it? Where is it? like always looking out for these signs? And it, yeah, every time I'm like walking and I hear just someone like a little cough, it could be like just a dry throat. And I'm like, okay, walking the other opposite direction. I'm out of right, here. Right, Get, right, right. Running the other way. And this growing paranoia. Ugh, you guys. Help me. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. And um, and also quarantine. You know, this idea of holing up in your house for an unknown period of time. And um I've heard a lot of people compare this moment to the aftermath of 9-11, you know, where the mm-hmm. messaging we got was we have to return to daily life and normal life as soon as possible. Um, you know, to help the economy or whatever, go shopping. And, and part of what's so difficult about this moment is, yeah, we, we have to do all the things that would be comforting 
like going out in public and seeing each other and you know being behaving normally in a way that's that's the opposite of what we need to do mm. but i want to talk a little bit about the roles that theaters can play in this situation because you know one of the great things that theater can do is of course bring people together put them in the same space, have them cry and laugh right next to each other. Um, I mean, that's why we love live theater. And yet in this moment, all the theaters are closed to yeah. protect each other. And so so what do you think theater artists can do? I mean, what what role can we play in supporting each other and also supporting our friends and family members and communities. I think one of the things I'm noticing and witnessing that that people are doing is really embracing what's available. Like we have we could email, we have access to our social media, we have all mm-hmm. these things to our disposal really. And I'm and it's been really remarkable to see how people are using that. You know, people yeah. are creating like these uh bake-off play, you know, send us your email, we'll send you the thing or the ingredients and we'll all write a play together. Um, I've been, my, my comedy theater is they're utilizing the, the, the live stream aspect of our social media account, the theater mm-hmm. social media account and being like, Hey, if you have sketch videos, send it to us, we're going to upload it and use it on our social, oh, like cool. send it out. And so you can watch all your, like all our team's sketch videos and, um, online in our social accounts. So, I mean, I think it, I love how it's sparking this creativity, like people who are trying to figure out another way, thinking mm-hmm. a little bit outside the box, the normal, um, to bring any kind of source of entertainment, um, for ourselves and for our community, which is kind mm-hmm. of exciting to see. Uh, so yeah, I like, I like that aspect of what's happening. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's because theater artists are used to improvising and they're used to collaborating and they're used to, you know, 10 minutes before opening something terrible goes wrong, you know, and you have to fix it really quickly. And so I think one thing we all have a lot of comfort with is thinking on our feet and making do with what we have and, also, you know, working on a budget, working on really limited, um, you know, limited amounts of resources and money and time. And um, one, <clears throat> one thing I saw on Instagram, maybe it's also on Facebook, I wouldn't know, um, is Emma Maltby, who's an actor that I worked with a couple of years ago. She put together this guide to... Um, eating for a week on $30 and she called it something like wash your hands and feed your friends. And she has a grocery list. She has three recipes that sound really good. They're all vegan. Um, and, and, you know, she just, she said something like I put this together to help people out who might not, you know, know where to start in kind of prepping to, stay inside for a week. And so I just think that's really cool. That's um, awesome. All the ways people are helping each other. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I, 
I think that's it. That's what's <laughs> cool about social media right now is mm-hmm. how we can quickly entertain each other and uh, share this like really useful information quickly and like sharing. And I mean, yeah, I, I'm really hoping that when people are saying like, stay inside, don't go outside, <laughs> you know, let's try to control this um, pandemic. And we're like influencing each other, telling each other that, that I'm hoping people take it to heart. Um, yeah. But, I know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, cause one of the things we have to do really rapidly is change everybody's behavior. So I guess, you know, it, it, it was kind of amazing to see how, you know, first one theater decided to cancel a performance and then another theater decided to, and then it was like this domino effect. Everybody decided. And, and some of that, I guess was because of, the laws coming or the orders coming down from the city or state governments. Um, but also there is this sense that, you know, we have to, we have to take care of each other and protect each other. And theaters have a role to play in leading this. I mean, on the other hand, so many bars and restaurants are still hopping, you know? I know it's, it's so hard only be I'm coming okay understanding from a small business point of view is like yeah they, they can't afford to close shop because right. then they'll be out of business even when this whole thing is you know clears up or is over <clears throat> that shop might not exist because they couldn't yeah I wish there was like a better regulation being like uh I don't know like don't pay your rent for the next month right. <laughs> I don't know well it's I think what some people are talking about in the federal government, which I really think they need to do, is, you know, some people are suggesting just send a check to every American to cover their rent. You know, I mean, like that sounds extreme, but that's what we are going to need in order to be able to stay home. Yeah, I think I read somewhere about um, how like companies that are like larger than 150 or 200 basically large corporations are going to get mm-hmm. like a, a break but it's like the, all these small businesses i know that are at risk and they're i'm I mean, hoping I, that they're going to make some money available that small businesses can get yeah. as well i mean it sounds like that's what they're trying to i do. have been seeing like the small business that i follow on on the internet like announcing making a statement saying like you know we encourage curbside pickups you know Mm. use your postmates using you know whatever and then we'll be gladly to you know try to accommodate that way like i think that's kind of like another way to think about how can you keep the business running open but also having having take these preventative measures for people's safety yeah it's again like bookstores i think bookstores are going to be really hit hard and i've seen a lot of Mm. bookstores saying we will ship you your book for free Yeah, I've been saying that a lot. Please keep shopping. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Speaking of books, my library sent out an email saying that um, they're going to be closed for the end of the rest of the month. Mm -hmm. But if your books were due during that time, it would be all forgive. Like, you could keep those books until... Oh, wow. So I was like, oh, yeah. Like, (laughs) I was like, I've been trying to finish this Malcolm Gladwell book (laughs) 
for like weeks. I have What's a the book. No, it's it? the Talking Strangers. It's like a oh, you know, mm-hmm. and I know it's on a wait list. Like I know a lot of people, so I can't renew it. But I was like, all right, I have this like. <laughs> ex- um, that's awesome. Yeah, it's, that's one of the perks of. Uh, this situation, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah. <sighs> what a time. Well, Sarah, you brought up the idea of movies. Um, I'm like, mm-hmm. uh, do we even want to open this can of worms? But how, oh my God. <laughs> how have uh, movies set us up to think about this situation? Well, let me tell you. Okay, so. Because I haven't seen any of these movies. So you, yeah, you have to tell me. Okay, so one of my favorite genres is, uh, is zombies. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've pretty much, I've, I think I've pretty much watched all that's out there. But as an adult, as I got older, I got, I couldn't handle it anymore <laughs> because it's just too terrifying. Um, but yeah. When uh, you say when you became an adult, do you mean I like think it, 29? <laughs> because you, <laughs> well, I, well, I was really into zombies all through high school and even college, like 18, 19, 20. But then I think when reality hit, like, you know, being an adult, having to pay rent and all this stuff, you know, like that mm. regular adult things. Yeah. And about you, and you also think about your health. So I was like, the zombie movies, it just like, it, it took me, took me to a place I don't want to be. It was like survival mentality like yeah. that i was like I i'm just saying i'm pretty there. sure you wrote a zombie movie screenplay I, in I, when we were at iowa <laughs> i wrote a, a zombie movie i wrote a zombie play and it was hilarious. yeah <laughs> thanks um but yeah i was really into zombies and so the, some of the movies like night of the living dead that's like the first probably like well-known one um 28 days later there's this really great Korean drama series called The Kingdom that's on Netflix and there's also this movie called Train to Busan that's another Korean movie and then there's a classic viral outbreak it's not a zombie but um, called The Outbreak starring Dustin Hoffman I am noticing very it's a very trendy movie right now I see it oh, all across wow. people are watching on Netflix renting it it's being like a popular movie right now which is funny um, but I think all of these movies, it's very, it, with, like, Naomi Wall's Monthly Spare, like, all these, the zombie movie genre, I think it forces, it's all about how that individual, that human being, that person in this time of crisis shows their, what are they willing to do to survive? Mm. And there's something about that mentality. I was just like, it's it's instinctual. It's um, sometimes animalistic. I think because it's like, you know, it's this. You're doing whatever it takes to live and lo- save your loved ones, and you don't care anything else but yourself. And there's well, that, like that that raises a question for me because I think, I mean, one of the ro- most amazing aspects of this pandemic has been the healthcare workers who are so courageous and selfless and yeah you know the stories out of China and Italy are just astonishing that the people who have been working around the clock for weeks to save as many lives as possible you know with 
and knowing that they're putting themselves at risk and in some cases getting really, really sick and even dying. I'm just kind of wondering, yeah. did is there is that aspect in the movies at all? Or is it more well, like Yeah, there's always yeah, there's like there's like always some like a noble like then yeah like the first you know like when the first signs of uh this like outbreak is happening and so all these like professional officials doctors are like trying to save a person and they see mm. oh my god higher risk and they get attacked oh my gosh <laughs> um, i mean it's horrific yeah. yeah it's horrific but i think yeah it's horrific to see and it's like it's you see what it is is i think what these the genre does well is and is how fear can manifest in ways that you never think was possible and mm -hmm. bringing out the worst in people or sometimes the best in people like the heroes in the stories are like they're actually wanting to save everyone that they could find to save you know yeah. um but i think that's what it is it's like during this time of crisis what are you going to do like what like how are you gonna be most helpful how are you not and then it's just like it really shows the person's character it's just like that's mm -hmm. i think that's what it is is that you see their like their their inner selves coming out and and sometimes it's like wow you're vicious you're the most horrible person <laughs> yeah um <clears throat> wow well and of course part of that is like T directed towards telling a good story so yeah you know there's always going to be that aspect of like okay how do we ramp up the stakes put yeah. everybody in bad situations <laughs> you know that bad. we care about totally. and but, you know uh, here's what is the thing like in like like you mentioned in one flea spare and and i just see it in like all these zombie, zombie movies his class is a big thing even current yeah. situation like the wealthier people if they have the money like i mean i'm not saying like this is horrible the, don't at me folks but when we got the news that tom hanks and mm. Rita wilson caught the coronavirus and everyone's like feeling for them and they're like i'm like they're first of all they're just human beings but because they're celebrities i'm sure they have all the resources that's made available to them and they're like because they're tom it's tom hanks like nobody wants to see tom hanks dead but i was just thinking like versus that like I'm, I'm just thinking streams like Tom Hanks versus just like a homeless person in the street who's being constantly exposed. And the, it's rainy here in California right now. It's cold. It's raining, and and they're constantly being exposed to yeah. not just the virus itself, but everything else. Um, so like you are, it's like our priorities right we're like oh i hope tom hanks doesn't die but like what about all the homeless people on the street right now yeah. <laughs> like you don't hear people like you don't hear the media being like you know homeless people you know, it's it was it was tom hanks all over the news for like days right and the only reason we know about these cases of you know celebrities and politicians and famous people is that those are the people who are being tested um but I'm sure I'm really worried for, you know, the Syrian refugees who have been in refugee camps for months in really terrible weather, um, you know, and of course, incarcerated people and yeah, yeah, homeless populations. And it, I think 
it's important not to lose sight of the most vulnerable people and how it's going to affect them. Absolutely. And, and I guess that's, maybe that's a, a bigger question for us all to consider is how can we be supporting people beyond our immediate communities? What can we do as theater artists? Um, I don't have an answer to that, but it's something I'm, I'm really thinking about. Yeah. I mean, for sure. One thing people can do is uh, stay home. Don't go to the bars and meet up with your actor friends. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, just because you're well and able, like, don't go outside. <laughs> just, it's okay to tell your friend, I'm just going to postpone this. Sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I'm going to do today. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy well listeners we want to hear from you Um, what are you doing to stay creative what are you doing to keep yourself busy and occupied in isolation Um, how are you doing mentally and emotionally what ideas do you have for other people Um, I'm sure we're going to return to this topic again in the coming weeks so I'm like 110% sure come fall, all those like when the development opens up, um, there's just going to be an influx of plays about pandemic. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's For all the submission like, opportunities. All the sub- all submission opportunities. There's just going to be an influx of some outbreak plays. Yeah. Well, and and theaters are going to be really hard hit. I mean, one idea that I I have seen circulating that I think is beautiful is if you have a ticket to a show that has been canceled, mm. to consider donating that money, if you can, if you're able, to the theater rather than asking for a refund. Refund, yeah. Because, um, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be hard, I think. I know there probably will be a whole bunch of pandemic plays or plays about quarantine <laughs> or plays about you know what folks I've been writing fever. I've been writing pandemic plays since it was cool <laughs> <laughs> quarantine plays I've been writing that since it that first that word first came about <laughs> oh my god it is funny. I'm like, this whole thing's happening. I'm like, wow, I wrote these, like, wrote a play about this or that. And I was like, I thought about revisiting, but I'm like, you know what? I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. It's like, don't want to open that can of Mormons in my life. It's already happening. I'm really thinking about my class. I teach an intro to drama class right now. And we were going to have a, you know, festival of these 10 minute plays in the spring at the end of the semester mm. so my students could hear their plays in front of an audience. And now that we're moving to online classes, I'm trying to come up with a way to give them an experience that can capture some of that, even though of course it won't compare. Um, so that's what, that's what's on my mind. All right. Well, shall we move to glistens? Well, so uh, moving to glistens. All right. Oh, What's your question, Sarah? Um, I don't know if it's like one thing, 
Um, oh, I know. Okay. Wow. <laughs> I hope your glisten is positive because I'm going to take a dark turn here. Yeah, that's um, fine. Okay, so uh, I watched this Netflix series, documentary series called Trials of Gabriel Fernandez, mm-hmm. and it was brutal, just brutal thing to watch. Um, originally, I was watching it because it was recommended to me by my, by my boss to just watch it for like sort of the the politics and the dynamics that goes on in our Los Angeles uh, criminal system and the justice system and the, the the bureaucracy of it all. And I watched from that, but the, this young eight-year-old boy and his story of the abuse and the neglect and the, just the violent um, tra- trauma that he went through. Like, it, so I... It was just shocking, and I just could not bear to watch it. Um, but I finished it because it was very, also very well made, compelling documentary. Um, but yeah, I, man, I, <laughs> I just, God, I just want to leave LA. I just want to leave. Just everything about the city is so bad. But then I said this to you, Sam. Like, but there's also this part of me. I was like, I want to fix this city so badly. Do you and think I, that the documentary captures something that's unique to LA? Or do you think um, that level of you, like, you know, terribleness is present everywhere? I, no, I think one of the things it captures and it, and it is so true, maybe for any city, like large cities, but it, LA specific is we you know it's gonna sound so bad I'm it's gonna sound like I'm at in California but it's so true but for a state that acts so liberal um how little resources how much little care we have for the people that live in our city mm-hmm. um and the mm. bureaucracy of it all. Like, there was this one thing that just made me so angry and so mad was how um, the, our government, the county, hires an agency to do all their, like, social work or whatever um, things. And they're like, it's a, it's a for-profit agency that's benefiting f- from, like, cases that wow. don't get finished or get completed and they're just completely neglected. Like... And I'm like, how? Like, it just made me so angry. Like, yeah. it's, this whole mentality of, and it is like, maybe it's true across the board for, I don't know. I don't know. Government societies, but always hiring another person to do the job that you don't, you don't want to do. <laughs> like, like yeah. nothing gets done. And there's this whole web of bureaucracy. Everything is so slow. Everything is completely like, I'm, I'm just shocked of how the the ladder of people that I have to go through just to get something done. And like it's it's insane to me how we live like this and for how and how many people aren't getting the help they need because of this really really just oh, this horrible bureaucracy of it all. Um well, I think if anybody can change it, Sarah, you can. 
Yeah. Oh gosh, I know. I'm gonna. I already see. I have my five and ten year plan. Like, I think I need to do is run to be a board of supervisor, and then. <laughs> yeah, do it, dude. It's I. Saw, and then you're it, gonna be mayor. It's like the same board of supervisors have this like power over the city and they've been the same people in the last like 20 years and because no I would one runs move to LA them. so that I could vote for you really oh thanks mm-hmm. Sam <laughs> <laughs> you could just move to LA anytime and just so I could see each other <laughs> no only if I get to vote for you oh my god I mean I yeah Ugh, I don't know it's just ah there's just so many problems and that I just so, wish. Yeah, that sounds really heartbreaking. Like how I was just thinking about all the women, children that could be saved or could seek provide the help that they need yeah. if if uh if there weren't all these like bunch of these like hierarchy of people that you have to go through. You know, like, it, I, why is that? Why is this the way it works? I don't understand. <sighs> anyway, that's my glisten. <laughs> In case y'all um, forgot. <laughs> well, okay. My glisten is I, I saw something, I saw a story, I think, in the New York Times, maybe. I can't remember exactly where, um, about in Italy. Um, this kind of spontaneous singing that erupted from neighborhoods that are in complete lockdown where people on their rooftops and balconies and from their windows all started singing together to support the medical workers. Um, and it, it was just such a beautiful um, example of how the arts, you know, we, um, we still have the arts available to us and the arts can bring a lot of light in this time of darkness mm-hmm. so um that was my lesson how are you spending your um time right well now? i have to over the next two weeks i have to plan um how to move my classes to remote learning mm. so fortunately i have spring break to do that um But I teach a composition class, which is all about writing and giving speeches. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of one area of planning. And then I have this intro to drama class, too. So I guess I'm going to be recording some videos and coming up with ideas for how my students can still engage with each other. I'm very aware that... um, there's not only the kind of educational component, but also I want to do the best I can to support my students' kind of mental and emotional health in this time. I think and most of my students are freshmen. Um, I think it's going to be really, really hard for them to have this disruption in their, in the middle of their first year of college. And um, I imagine it's going to be a pretty isolating experience, um, you know, to be away from their friends and to be, you know, trying to take classes and stay motivated by themselves. So, yeah. So I'm just thinking about that. Awesome. Yeah. 
Remember my um, New Year's resolution earlier in the year was like read one book a month. I'm oh yeah, gonna, I'm gonna be able to just read the next like seven books all in the next week yeah. or two. And I finish know. my I have resolution. So many books on my bookshelves that I have not had time to read. So I'm really looking forward to doing that. Let's get it done. <laughs> <laughs> all right, folks. All right, it's been real. Tell us, tell us what you're thinking about out there. We want to hear from you and how you're coping with all this yeah give me some ideas how not to drive myself crazy and my loved ones (laughs) Um, yeah all right folks till next time